Hey there, and welcome to episode two of Silva Screeners. I'm Frank, coming at you right from outside of Boston, Massachusetts. And as always, hey, thank you for tuning in. I'd like to begin by introducing a new segment that I'm incorporating into this show, and that is going to be a look with each episode, a look at an upcoming release. This time around, I have to admit that I'm pretty intrigued by the twice-delayed Woman in the Window starring Amy Adams, Anthony Mackie, Gary Oldman and Julianne Moore. That's debuting on Netflix on May 14th. Now, I have watched the trailer, and as always, Adams does look like she's going to be delivering a solid performance, as she as she tends to. Uh, she plays an agoraphobic woman who is convinced that she has witnessed a terrible crime as she watches her neighbors outside of her window. And although that may seem like, I know what you're thinking, that sounds just like rear window, doesn't it? Like a rear window redux. But judging from the trailer, it does look like there is a major twist that will distinguish this film from that other film that's Hitchcock's classic. So I'll give it a chance. Um, So yeah, check out the trailer online and let me know what you think. Woman in the Window, then that releases on Netflix streaming on May 14th. Okay, so moving right along. I don't know about you, but I'm trying to wrap my head around the fact that uh, we're getting into May, already nearing the halfway point of 2021, which I cannot fathom. And, you know, we're going to be enjoying longer days and hopefully warmer, at least more consistent weather. I was never one for the humidity, I got to be honest, but I do look forward to the summer months as much as the next person. It's been really windy here in the Boston Mass area these past few weeks, and shades have been fluttering around and causing a lot of volume. So weather inconsistencies aside, one thing that does remain constant every year around this time, that second Sunday in May when people pay tribute to the maternal figures in their lives. And I speak, of course, of Mother's Day. And the reality is, is that it can be an enjoyable and maybe even a sentimental time of the year for some people. But For others, it might be difficult to get through for any number of reasons, no question. Um, But with Mother's Day now fast approaching, it's Sunday, May 9th this year, today's episode is going to throw a spotlight on some of the most memorable maternal movie characters of all time, at least in my own personal humble estimation. Uh, But before we begin, uh, let's get into this week's trivia first. Uh, Last week, For the premiere episode, I had played the same opening theme that you heard today, and the answer to the trivia, well, the trivia question then was, what movie is that theme from? And I did get a few responses, and I can tell you that out of the responses that I did get, two of you did in fact nail it, and that would be Hugh and Monique. You both correctly guessed the 1963 flick Charade, starring Audrey Hepburn and Cary Grant and directed by Stanley Donan, who only about 10 years previously had co-directed Singing in the Rain with Gene Kelly. So good on you both, you and Monique, and thank you for playing. So as for the trivia question in this episode, let's have one appropriately with a more of a maternal theme, a maternal flair. So here it is. Name the 2004 comedy with a mother character whose name is Mrs. George. She makes a fool of herself, trying to stay young, gossiping with her on-screen teenage daughter named Regina and Regina's friends. She dresses like they do, and she tries to use their lingo, much to Regina's mortification and embarrassment and disgust. And at one point, Mrs. George says, 
there are no rules in this house. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not like a regular mom. I'm a cool mom. Right, Regina? And Regina's response is a modified, please stop talking. So, okay. I gave you a lot, but I will give you one more hint. Regina, the teenage daughter on screen, is played by Rachel McAdams. So those are all the hints you're going to get out of me for this one. I'm looking for the name of the movie. And if you really want to impress your friends, name the award-winning comedian who plays Mrs. George. All right. So I have a list of what I consider to be the top movie matriarchs of all time. And if you second guess as much as I do, you may or may not end up going for the ones that I ultimately did narrow down here that I wanted to single out. Um, it was not easy. <laughs> and if uh, I got to be honest, uh, there were names that I took out. There were names that I threw in. There were names that I took out and put back in. There were names that I put in and took back out. So uh, it was difficult trying to narrow it down because out of all the movies that exist, how can you possibly narrow it down to a definitive finite list? So especially if, like me, you're always changing your mind. So you have the following four categories. I figured that would probably be the best way to introduce these. I have category one, those maternal movie characters who are the fighters. Category two, those who are the nightmares. Category three, the sentimental favorites. And category four, the flawed human beings. And then at the end, you're going to get the big reveal. My top choice, the crowning cherry on the cheesecake, the top of the heap, the salt of the earth, what I call the maternal movie monarch. So stay tuned for that big reveal. So, like I said, uh, lists are never easy to compose. I've seen and heard lots of best of lists in my time. I'm sure you have as well. And they're a lot of fun to listen to. And they're a lot of fun to go back and forth with, to discuss and to agree and disagree. But I wanted to, instead of just having the same old, here are my top five, here are, the, here are my favorites, I wanted to add a distinctive silver screeners flair here. So I am going to give you the, uh, the names of the characters and the actresses who play them, but you're also going to get a really high-quality line of dialogue of hers from her film that delivers the dramatic, or depending on the film, the comedic goods. One disclaimer here, though, that is necessary to point out, I am speaking here of the characters and the actresses who play them when I single them out as among the best. I am not necessarily speaking of the movies themselves. For some of them I am, for some of them I'm not. So just keep that in mind. These are tributes to the characters, the actresses, the dialogue, not necessarily to the overall movies. So let's get it done. All right, category one, the best fighters. Those, I think, are characters who are just ready to clobber anybody who will even dare to lay a hand on their babies. Anybody who dares to look cross-eyed at their kids. Now, these characters, these, these uh, maternal characters, these on-screen fighters, some of their choices in life in the context of the movie storyline, I mean, of course, some of their choices in life may be dubious, but, uh, but their motives, their motives are fueled by a, a determined and a protective love for their charges. So I have here Molly Weasley, played by Julie Walters in the Harry Potter films. She is not only a great mom to her kids, she also is a great surrogate mother figure for Harry Potter himself. In fact, uh, kind of goes into dubious territory when she actually shows Harry Potter preferential treatment a lot of times over her own 
shall we say, lower achieving son, Ron, Ron Weasley, <laughs> who was Harry's best friend. Um, choice line of dialogue that I have for Molly Weasley is in the final Harry Potter film. She is, there's the big war going on, the battle and wands are out and all of the, all of the curses and spells are flying back and forth. And when Molly Weasley's youngest daughter is in danger at the hands of the evil Bellatrix Lestrange, and I don't think I pronounced that correctly, but that's okay, uh, played by Helena Bonham Carter. Um, Helena Bonham Carter is about to is about to deliver a scathing blow with her wand to Molly Weasley's youngest daughter, Ginny. And Molly Weasley, as any good strong mother would, takes her magic wand, points it straight at Lestrange, and she says, not my daughter, you B-I-T-C-H. It's a great moment. It is, it is a really redeeming moment for Molly Weasley, who is depicted as, I don't want to say mousy, but, you know, rather dowdy and rather, uh, you know, not humble, not timid, but uh, sort of socially awkward. So it's a great moment for her to, to show her mettle. So that is definitely a character who must be included in this list, Molly Weasley. Um, on a more serious note, I also have a character by the name of Lynn Sear, played by the criminally underrated Tony Collette, in her only Oscar-nominated performance, and that is in 1999's The Sixth Sense. Now, yeah, you may be saying to yourself, wait a minute, that's a horror movie? How deep of a character? How much substance can there be? Trust me, if you have not seen this movie in a long time, or if you've never seen it, take another look at it, if anything, for Toni Collette's performance. Years before she did Knives Out, Years before she did Hereditary, she showed her acting chops with The Sixth Sense. She plays a single working class mother, uh, raising her her young son, played by Haley Joel Osment, and he can see ghosts. That famous line, I see dead people. Uh, throughout most of the movie, she has no idea that he has this, that he has this ability, and at one point, uh, she brings him to the birthday party of a kid in his class. He's not a very popular kid, her son. Uh, you know, he's made fun of a lot. He's called a freak. So the fact that he was actually invited to this birthday party was kind of a, you know, it was kind of an unexpected, a big step for him. So uh, here he is at this birthday party and he has a paranormal encounter. And later on, she brings him home. He's asleep and, uh, you know, he's, He's wounded and she puts him into bed and she notices a couple of bruises on his back. That is a moment for me as a parent myself that just is a, it's a real, it's a kick in the gut. It's a real kick in the gut. It is expertly written, expertly acted. Uh, the expression on her face as she holds back the rage filled tears that alone should have gotten her the Oscar. But what makes the scene even stronger is that she she finishes putting him to bed. She doesn't say a word. Very quietly, it's nighttime, the lights are out. She goes into the kitchen. She picks up the telephone. It's 1999, so <laughs> she picks up the landline and she dials a number. You're left wondering who she's calling. And in an extremely dramatic moment, you hear her on the phone. You see her in the shadows and you hear her say, I want to talk to you about your boy and his friends keeping their goddamn hands off my son. Then you have a dissolve, 
into darkness. And that is an extremely powerful moment. I get chills just talking about it now. Every time I come across that scene on YouTube or wherever, that to me right there, that, that is, that is a fighter. <laughs> that is a mother who is ready to, ready to go to bat for her kid and to, and to write what she sees is a wrong. The last movie character that I want to mention as a great fighter, uh, in an, on an even more serious note, an even more dramatic film because it's grounded very much in reality. Um, speaking of a 2008 drama called Doubt, this is the film with Meryl Streep as a nun in early 1960s uh, New York City, the Bronx, I think it is. And Philip Seymour Hoffman plays the parish priest. And Meryl Streep is convinced that Philip Seymour Hoffman's character is, um, she suspects him of inappropriate, uh, you know, inappropriate activity with, uh, you know, with some of her, with some of her eighth grade students. So she calls up the mother of the student in question. And the mother is played by, for me anyway, a then unknown Viola Davis. And Viola Davis, I'm sorry, if there is an actress working now today in Hollywood who deserves every accolade thrown her way, Viola Davis is it. She plays the mother of the eighth grade boy in question. And I don't wanna give away too, too much, but there is an extremely tense scene where Meryl Streep, who plays Sister Aloysius. Sister Aloysius is trying to convince Viola Davis's character that there is reason for concern. And I don't wanna go into too much of the circumstances as to why Viola Davis's character is apprehensive. All I wanna say is that her closing line, it's about an eight minute long scene. And the very last line that Viola Davis has she looks Meryl Streep right in the eye and she says to her, sister, I don't know if you and me are on the same side. I'll be standing with my son and those who are good with my son. It'd be nice to see you there. Good morning. And then she walks off. I mean, come on, who does that to Meryl Streep? <laughs> who says that to Meryl Streep, but a woman, Viola Davis, trapped in a desperate situation where ultimately all she wants to do is just protect her boy. So those are the three movie matriarchs that I would say are the strongest fighters that I, that I see. Um, moving along to category number two. This is a category that is much more lighthearted, a little bit more tongue-in-cheek, because this is actually a category that uh, contains the what I consider to be the biggest nightmares of maternal figures that ever did grace the uh, silver screen. These are the characters who you would not want to meet in the dark alley, the characters you would not want to be on their bad side. And the first I have here, Margaret White, played by Piper Laurie in an Oscar-nominated performance in the 1976 horror classic Carrie, based on Stephen King's first novel by the same name, Carrie. And where to begin with this one? The character of Margaret White, she plays an unhinged uh, religious fanatic who psychologically and physically abuses her teenage daughter, Carrie, played by Sissy Spacek, 
All I will say about the honestly, I can't say too much without spoilers. All I will say for the choice line of dialogue is when Margaret White tries to prevent her teenage daughter Carrie from attending the prom and she looks at her and she desperately hollers, they're all going to laugh at you. And that is repeated later on in the film uh, at a very pivotal moment, but I won't say how. I'll just say, watch the film. So Margaret White, played by Piper Laurie in 1976's Carrie. The second that I have here, the nightmare of a mother, Mrs. Robinson, played by Anne Bancroft in her Oscar-nominated performance in 1967's cultural juggernaut the graduate this is mrs robinson is a woman who is so miserable trapped in her loveless sham of a marriage that she sets her sights on the uh 21 year old son of her husband's best friend and business partner and she and this 21 year old son played by dustin hoffman the two of them begin an affair, and yes, if you're saying to yourself, Mrs. Robinson, wasn't that a song by Simon and Garfunkel? Yes, it was, and yes, it was for this movie. In fact, a little side note here, I can tell you that when Simon and Garfunkel were putting the song together, it was before they had signed on to make the music for The Graduate. So initially, the song, when they were first in the planning stages, was going to be a tribute to Eleanor Roosevelt. And I don't know, I can't imagine Cuckoo Cuckoo, Mrs. Roosevelt, but once they signed on to write the music for The Graduate, uh, the song, of course, was then fully written and revised, and it became the classic Mrs. Robinson that we all know and love today. But back to Anne Bancroft and her performance as Mrs. Robinson. So she and 21-year-old Benjamin, played by Dustin Hoffman, they're having this affair, and he's lost and she's lost, and they're two desperate souls just trying to find some instant gratification in life. They have absolutely no genuine emotion for each other. They are just using each other for their own callous ends. And uh, eventually he does break it off with her when, talk about awkward, uh, he goes on a date with and actually falls in love with her daughter. Her college-aged daughter, Elaine Robinson, played by Catherine Ross. So Mrs. Robinson is so consumed by rage and jealousy. Jealousy, she's jealous of her own daughter. And she's filled with, of course, rage for Dustin Hoffman's character. And so she confronts him and she says to him, you are to stay away from Elaine. Those are my orders. And his attitude is basically, and if I don't, Mrs. Robinson looks him in the eye and she says, and I quote, in an effort to keep you away from Elaine, I'm fully prepared to tell her everything. He looks at her in shock and says, I can't believe that you would do that. And she looks at him and with the ultimate cinematic coldness, she says, try me. As far as the climactic scene in the church, whoa, I'll just say, watch the film. Um, I know that I'm making this sound very dramatic and very serious. The Graduate actually, uh, I don't know, I guess you could call it a comedy drama, but there are, it's definitely very much a scathing satire of, uh, you know, of shallow materialism and, and, uh, you know, just older generation versus young, very much a product of its time, but it holds up in a lot of ways. In other ways, not so much, but uh, definitely check it out for Anne Bancroft's performance alone. I probably should give a shout out, just you know, one little shout out to uh, Mrs. Bates in Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Mrs. Bates, the legend herself and her classic line, 
I'm sorry, boy, but you do manage to look ludicrous when you give me orders. So just a little shout out there. Thank you, Mrs. Bates, for, you know, <laughs> 60 plus years of, uh, of uh, fond memories of uh, <laughs> the Bates Motel. And the next category that I have here, the sentimental favorites, which is pretty self-explanatory. But uh, this, this is where I have to get uh, a little bit mushy and mention some movie ca- maternal movie characters who just, you know, they, 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 bring on the, they bring on the tug at the heartstrings. First one I do have to mention, Mrs. Jumbo from the Disney animated classic Dumbo. Now, Dumbo is a problematic movie in a lot of ways in terms of how it has not aged well. I'm strictly speaking of the character of the mother, Mrs. Jumbo. I defy you not to choke up when she is thrown into that little wagon with the the jail bars in the window uh, when she simply was defending Dumbo from bullies and they accuse her of being a, a mad elephant and so they cage her. So baby Dumbo and his mother are separated. He goes to visit her and all she can do is just stick her trunk through those bars and he with his own trunk hugs her trunk and she cradles him in her trunk and then they play that song baby mine if you are not choking up listening to this right now then i say to you go onto youtube look it up and then tell me that <laughs> this is not a scene that that works mrs jumbo all right the next character that should be pointed out not necessarily one of my favorite movies but uh, a very memorable classic and that is the sound of music Maria Von Trapp, played by Julie Andrews in Julie Andrews' Oscar-nominated performance. And this is, well, (laughs) this is a movie that is extremely loosely based on a true story. Suffice it to say that she is a nun in training, and the Mother Superior is not convinced that... uh, young Maria is destined to be a nun. So to to make sure that she's ready to take her vows, she says to her, you have to do something first. I'm going to send you to to go be the governess in charge of seven children. They lost their mother recently and their father is in the Navy. So they need a governess. And so off you go, toodle do. And off Maria goes. And uh, then as we all know how it works, (laughs) Yeah, she falls in love with her father. The rest is cinematic history. As far as memorable movie quotes that Maria utters in the film, pick a song. I think I'll go with Silver White Winters that melt into springs. I do have one more shout out to give for this category of sentimental favorites. And that shout out goes out to Glenn Close for her character, Mama, in her recent Oscar-nominated performance in 2020's Hillbilly Elegy. Now, the film itself is not great, not terrible. It did not deserve all of the negative flack that it got. Glenn Close certainly did not deserve the Razzie nomination that she got. Um, But she did deserve her Oscar-nominated performance, I think. It's not my favorite of her roles, but, uh, you know, she made it work. But regardless of what you think about the film, if you saw it, or what you think of her acting in it, you do have to admit her character is one foul mouthed, <laughs> tough talking cookie who is all about ultimately protecting her grandson from himself. And uh, the, the grandson is probably about maybe 13, 14 years old. And uh, she is all about protecting him. She, her grown daughter, the, the, grand, the grandson's mother, uh, played by Amy Adams, uh, she is a drug addict, so Mama Glenn Close's character is 
very you know she's very protective of her grandson and uh so she takes him under her wing she has a move in with her and uh she decides that she is going to enforce the discipline on her that he is not used to she is going to make sure he does his homework she is going to make sure that he does not skip school she's going to make sure that he does not hang out with a bad crowd and my favorite line of hers from the film and i'm not going to do it justice because she does it with her character's voice and inflection she turns to her grandson, who is angry at her and defiant and glowering at her. She looks at him and she says to him, I don't care you hate me. I ain't in it for popularity. Like I said, I did not do that justice. So <laughs> apologies to Glenn Close. The final category that I have here. So those are the sentimental favorites. The final category that I have the flawed human beings. So these are the movie characters who are, you know, pains in the you-know-what. Uh, some know how to push their kids' buttons and uh, do so with spiteful abandon. But fundamentally, they do honestly have love in their hearts, and it's just that they could never learn how to express that love all that well. So uh, first one I have to mention here is Aurora Greenway, played by Shirley MacLaine in her Oscar-winning role in 1983's Terms of Endearment. Uh, that was the best picture winner of 1983, that to be candid, I find personally that the movie is manipulative and overrated, but uh, Shirley MacLaine, she can be fun to watch at times. Uh, she's great in Downton Abbey. Um, but here in Terms of Endearment, she plays a neurotic and I would say slightly unhinged, a very self-absorbed, narcissistic, clinging, blunt to the point of hurtfulness uh, not accepting of her age kind of a character here she is with a grown daughter her grown daughter played by deborah winger who gets married goes on to have three kids and when deborah winger turns to shirley mclean and tells her that she is pregnant with her first child shirley mclean's character is none too pleased because this is with gentlemen callers right there at the table one of them played by Danny DeVito. Uh, so Shirley MacLaine flips out over the news of her married daughter's pregnancy, and she picks up the silverware and waves it in the air, and she screams out, why should I be happy about being a grandmother? Because, like I said, she has the gentleman callers right there, and this is the ultimate insult, the reminder that she is aging. Um, but, as I said, these, uh, these flawed human beings, they have their redeeming moments. That scene, give my daughter the shot, I'll just leave it at that. No spoilers here. The next character, who I would call <laughs> a pain in the you-know-what, but ultimately loving in her own, in her own faulty way, a character by the name of Lindo Zhang, played by Sai Chin in 1993's The Joy Luck Club. Now, this character, she has a grown daughter. The grown daughter is played by Tamlin Tomita of Karate Kid 2 fame. And um, Tamlin Tamita's character, Waverly, Waverly is introducing her fiancé to her mother for the first time. So here's the fiancé meeting the future in-laws for the first time at an awkward dinner at the parents' house. And uh, the dinner, of course, becomes all about Lindo's culinary pride. And so Tamlin Tomita, in voiceover narration, she says, and I quote, my mother always insults her own cooking, but only with the dishes she serves with special pride. That was our cue to eat some and proclaim it the best she'd ever made. Now, if you want to see how that scene plays out, 
look it up on YouTube or better yet, watch the whole film uh, because the scene does not end there. Um, I do want to give a shout out to another maternal movie uh, character who in her own limited way is a flawed human being, perhaps has some redeeming qualities, but really is very limited in her ability to make them known. And I speak of the character of Beth Jarrett, played by Mary Tyler Moore in her Oscar-nominated performance in 1980s Best Picture winner, Ordinary People. Ordinary People, like Terms of Endearment, it's a family drama that, it was the thing at the time. Movies that were just, you know, for the big screen, they were, you know, there were family dramas, there were human dramas, and uh, Kramer versus Kramer, On Golden Pond, Terms of Endearment, Ordinary People, the late 70s, early 80s, Oscar nominations and Oscar trophies were going to movies like this. Um, in this one, in Ordinary People, uh, TV's perky Mary Tyler Moore plays against type. She plays an emotionally repressed mother who suffers the loss of one child in a tragic boating accident and nearly loses her other child who actually survived the boating accident. Now, if you're saying to yourself, whoa, my God, that's, <laughs> that's pretty heavy stuff, I would say to you, yeah, it is. This is a movie you want to go to, you want to go into um, being prepared for it. This is not a movie to fold laundry by. Uh, Beth Jarrett, Mary Tyler Moore's character, Beth Jarrett, She's icy, she's distant, she's, she's cheery on the outside and obsessed with maintaining a, a good image to the outside world. She's cheerful to, you know, everybody she comes across on the street. She is very actively involved in community affairs. She is the perfect suburban mother in terms of her image, which is very much what she strives to maintain. Uh, and of course, all of that comes at the expense of her relationship, uh, not only with her surviving son, played by Timothy Hutton, but also her husband, played by Donald Sutherland. And a pivotal scene has her and Donald Sutherland on a golf course, and they're having a big fight where they're finally venting X number of years of pent-up frustrations with each other. And he's, you know, they lost a son. And here they have another son who is barely hanging on by a thread. The family dynamic is falling apart. And he yells at her, can't you see anything except in terms of how it affects you? And she yells back, no, I can't. And neither can you. And neither can anybody else. So maybe I'm just a little more honest about it. And when he tells her that their son only needs to know that she doesn't hate him, she recoils in astonishment. She does. And she gasps. God, how could I hate him? Mothers don't hate their sons, but I don't know what anybody wants from me anymore. And then another character steps in and says, we just want you all to be happy. And her anguished reply, happy? You tell me the definition of happy. But first, you better make sure that your kids are good and safe. So it's a very, uh, it's a very revealing performance on the part of Mary Tyler Moore. This was not, you know, the Mary that people at the time were used to. She's not tossing her beret into the air in downtown Minneapolis or dancing with Dick Van Dyke in the middle of an oversized living room. This is a very angry and a very defensive and a very vulnerable character who just, she has love, but she just does not know what to do with it, how to express it. 
So ordinary people, Mary Tyler Moore, check it out. And finally, my top, the maternal movie Monarch, as I call it, the, uh, you know, the cherry and the cheesecake. This is, for me anyway, the ultimate cinematic definition of loving motherhood. And I speak of a 2016 film called Lion. And this is actually a tufa because there are two mother characters in this film. If you have not seen Lion, this is probably a film that I think the entire world should see, if anything, just to be reminded of the power of the human spirit. And I know that sounds cryptic. All I will say is watch Lion. Watch Lion, and you will see that there are two women in this film, uh, both of whom are mothers. And uh, I can probably at least give you the premise because it's in the trailers. Uh, there is a five, it's based on the true story a five year old boy in India. Um, he boards an abandoned train and is accidentally whisked to the other side of the country where he becomes a street child for several months before he's picked up and long story short he eventually is adopted by a very loving uh, couple from australia who give him a good home and a, a chance at life and nicole kidman plays sue Brierly, the the mother who adopts him and his uh, his birth mother whose name is kamla played by priyanka bose in this film uh I don't want to give away any of his birth mother's line of dialogue because that would be spoilers. I can, however, give you this line of dialogue and I'm not trying to sound dismissive and I'm not trying to sound, you know, cavalier about this. I could not be any more sincere. This monologue kills me in the best possible sense of the word every time I hear it. She and her, her son, you know, she adopted him. She and her son, uh, he's a grown man now in his mid twenties and he apologizes to her for her inability to physically have her own children. She looks at him in surprise, with surprise and she says to him, I could have had kids. And he looks at her because he never knew this. And she says, we wanted the two of you. She adopted two boys. She said, we wanted the two of you. That's what we wanted. We wanted the two of you in our lives. That's what we chose. And ultimately, this is hands down, those words, they may appear simple on paper, but they are the most pure and heartfelt depiction of the love of a mother or any mother figure that I have seen in any film ever. Whether it's a grandmother, an aunt, uh, an older sister, a mother, whoever it may be, um, that's just, to me, that is, that is it right there. That is it right there. So, so there you have it. Uh, let me know what you think of these choices and whether you would add any or take any off this list. Uh, don't forget to send in the title of the 2004 comedy, along with the name of the comedian who plays Mrs. George to Rachel McAdams' Regina. Uh, you can message or post on any of my social media platforms. If you're on Twitter, simply follow me at FilmBuff1974. If you are on Instagram, you will find me at Frank Mendoza. 1974, and that's F-R-A-N-K-M-A-N-D-O-S-A. You can also, to keep it more simple, simply send me an email to frankmandosa at yahoo.com. And if you're on Facebook, go ahead and join my public film group, same name as this podcast, which is Silva Screeners. So 
I do want to say to everybody out there who is listening, thanks for listening. Happy Mother's Day to all of the moms, the grandmothers, the aunts, the foster mothers, the stepmothers, the, the pet moms, the dog moms, the cat moms, all maternal figures out there. And until next time, keep on screening. See ya.